You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. You can pause and do that right now so you don't forget. And when you get back, we'll jump right into today's call. Are you ready to get started? Sure. So paint me a brief snapshot of where you are now and where you want to head and what you'd like my help with. Okay. So where I am now is I'm teaching a couple of classes in a community-based donation studio. And then I teach a couple of classes at other studios in the area where people pay for classes. And then I also have a private group and I love teaching privately. I have been really wanting to make the leap into teaching as a career, but I have some hesitations with that. Basically, I don't want it to become the four letter word of work. I want to be able to keep myself passionate about what I'm doing And I feel like I'm having some struggles with what my future actually looks like as a teacher. I'm currently finishing, I'm halfway through my 300 hour certificate. And I'm also about almost halfway through a health coach training program. And in the future, I would love to, in an ideal situation, be able to travel work remotely with clients online, sometimes in person. I'm just feeling a little kind of stagnant in my life being so stationary. It's almost 19 years I've been in Asheville, which is the longest I've been anywhere. And I have like this little gypsy soul that wants to explore traveling a little bit more than I have been but I want to be able to eventually bring yoga to other areas and bring it into my traveling in an ideal world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of all over the place with where my future is. I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I just know I want to transition out of my day job of being a, you know, hairstylist for 23 years and transition into more health and wellness based 
teaching and integrating yoga and meditation into helping people transform their lives. And it's okay to not be super clear with how your future is going to look because we actually, as much as we would like to, we can't predict the future. And sometimes having too clear a vision of what we want causes us to miss other possibilities. So I think it's good to know, okay, I want to head in the direction of being more location independent, of bringing more travel into my life and not having a solid rock solid plan of how that's going to happen. I think that's totally okay at this stage. And I think what I'm hearing from you is that there's maybe a transition phase though in between there, right? Yes, absolutely. And this is something to really, I think, consider and ponder in a deeper way because if your goal is truly that travel and that location independence, it may not make sense to make the transition into teaching full-time too soon. Okay. Because when you exactly what you said about that, that losing that joy, if you load the pressure of supporting yourself with your teaching before you fully have the platform that's ready for that, it's going to, it's going to bring this stress and this pressure that can actually hinder you in the long run from creating something bigger. Now, I'm not saying that that's the, that's necessarily the case. I'm just, I just see that as a a challenge, as a danger that a lot of people fall into because they have a romanticized notion of what it's like to teach yoga full time. Absolutely. And there's definitely a dark side to it. There's definitely (laughs) like, it's not all ponies and rainbows. So knowing what your long-term vision is. I would be thinking more about graduated steps in that direction versus like diving off the deep end into full-time teaching when you're not feeling from your, you know, the local community, this, um, this pressure to do it. What I mean is that you've shared with me that, so you have, you teach some donation-based classes that you don't get paid for and you get good attendance there. But at the classes you do get paid for, you're not getting the same type of response. Correct. So that is a, that's, you know, some signals that you're not ready now to jump into teaching full time. Now, if your paid classes were just as full as your donation classes, that would be a different story because that would be saying, look, there's demand for what you're doing. And if you can just shift your energy from free to paid, then there's going to be enough resources to go around. But that's not what's happening. So I do totally understand and respect your thought process around stepping away from the donation-based classes in order to make more space in your life to focus on these long-term goals. That makes a lot of sense. I'm doing something similar, actually. I have stepped away. I've taken a sabbatical from teaching for at least the next few months to focus on building an online course and possibly several online courses because I just function better when my world is a little bit more streamlined and I can, I can focus in a little bit better. 
I don't do really well with too much outside stimulus and too much different places to put my attention. If you think about, and, and one of the things that you said in your intake form was, how do I get the people who seem really excited to study with me at this one location, how do I get them to come with me to a place where I'm going to get compensated? And I think even though that makes a complete, that makes complete sense that you want to keep the students you've already developed a relationship with, I think it's a little bit of a slippery slope because it indicates an attachment to having those students. And those students, they may be more attached to the studio than they are to you. Even though they love what you're offering, it might be the location of the studio, the variety of offerings at the studio, the, the cost at the studio, whatever it is. And so the ones who are really are attached to you will follow you, but I wouldn't focus on trying to get them to. Okay. I would, yeah, I would just, I would focus more on who is showing up at your paid classes. Maybe what's the difference? Is there a difference between the people who are showing up at your paid classes and the people who are showing up at the classes you're not getting paid for? If so, what is the difference between them? Because if you can figure that out, if you can locate or determine what is it that differentiates those two populations, then you can focus on finding more people that are willing to pay you to compensate you for your time. Okay, that makes total and complete sense. And that actually takes some of the anxiety and the heart pressure off of the disconnection and detachment from the place where I go and I have great attendance and I get wonderful feedback, which is wonderful. You know, and I've only been teaching for three and a half years and this place has been a wonderful little womb for me to develop and really hone in on my teaching skills in several different styles of yoga, which I'm eternally grateful for. But yes, for some reason, and I, I never think of my class or my students. I just, you know, you were one of my teachers in my training. And I think that that point was really driven across very well in my 200 hour, as well as, uh, you know, my 220 hour Kundalini training that I've gone through that they are not your students. And this is not your class, you are the vessel to deliver these teachings in this moment. So I've feel like that is true in my heart. Um, but for some reason, the detachment anxiety of leaving the comfort of my womb to, to go and teach for money, which has already been another mental conversation I've had for years now with myself about how weird it is to teach for money, quote unquote, even though I've kind of worked through that and the whole energy exchange um, idea has really started to land in my heart. So I feel like what you just said about the difference in the students who are showing up there versus where they are showing up for my paid classes. I do have attendance at my paid classes. It's just not the same numbers as, you know, the donation, which I totally understand and get, but I think that what you just said really kind of landed about 
letting that part go because in my mind I'm like how do I you know do I start an email newsletter do I have this do I have that how do I I don't want to lure anybody away from this place because it's wonderful it's just yeah like the anxiety of kind of starting again in a sense so thank you for saying that that way yeah and the cool thing is that you're not starting from scratch Every time you start over with a new population, you start over with a different foundation and a different level of presence. So it's not the same as if you were a brand new teacher starting over. Okay, that helps. Well, and I think that's a question I have too is um, about so going into other studios and not necessarily starting over, like you just said marketing i guess i try like heck to do online marketing as well as flyering which has small response so i don't know if that's something we can touch on about you know going into other studios i don't know going into yeah. other studios what i would focus on for you because you know what your ultimate goal is I would focus on what is going to take you in that direction rather than trying to build up a local following. Does that make sense? It does. Teach your local classes and learn how to be an amazing teacher. Keep learning how to be an amazing teacher because we never stop learning that through that. Focus on your students and learn from your students and give and share with your students but I wouldn't put a ton of energy into building a local following that you're then going to leave. Okay. Let's think through some different ways that you could make your dream of traveling a reality. Okay. Okay. Travel teaching. So one option is to, you could build an online platform where you make a connection, you, you figure out how you can help people, you figure out who you want to help, and you find a way to nurture a connection and to build an audience. So that's one way to do it. A different way would be to build relationships with resorts. So you can travel teach by going to resorts and teaching at resorts. I don't know too much about this world, but I know I'm sure somebody does. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be another way. And that potentially could be a way if you really wanted to just follow your dream, you could probably do that now. Three and a half years teaching, that's enough time to teach at enough experience to teach at resorts. And it would be about networking and finding the right connections. And then once you're in that world, then you would just kind of branch out from there. So that would be another path. A third path would be to maybe find somebody who's already doing that to work for. So whether you would work for them as like an admin capacity or whether you would work for them, maybe bringing some skills that they don't have, complementary skills, could be once you got your health coaching certification, 
you have the Kundalini skill, you have the health coaching skill. So maybe there's somebody out there who's leading these successful retreats who wants to bring in these elements. All right. right. So we've kind of, I've kind of laid out four different possible paths. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I, I have kind of had several of those in my back ground of my mind. I'm not quite sure I totally resonate with the resort route, but I get the point of what you're saying and getting into that world. And I think that's been something that I've had on my mind as well as like how to start to connect with these people. And I didn't know, I've listened to multiple podcasts of yours about the whole website importance and things like that and branding and that kind of thing where I think for what I'm wanting to do even teaching in different studios around the country maybe maybe not necessarily internationally for that but kundalini is a little bit of a a niche type audience and I do see several teachers that I know of that and I follow people on social media that are doing just that going to different studios in different towns and teaching so I've I've really been wanting to explore that I just hold myself back because I'm like oh my website's not good enough or I don't have enough this or I don't have enough that and so I'm kind of I'm not really sure how to just start doing it other than to just do it. But then I hold myself back with, oh, my website needs to be redone because it's terrible, you know? So who are you thinking about when you're, when you say that you see other people who teach the same style as you traveling around and teaching? As far as teachers in general, or, I mean, that's kind of what I'm seeing is teachers that I've either crossed paths with or that I'm following their online platforms or classes that they have, these kinds of things um, that they're putting out on social media. Yeah. So I think that that's the key is that they've built a platform. The thing about traveling around and teaching in studios, whether it's internationally or across the U.S., is that it's unlikely for people to show up for a workshop or a training if they've never heard of the teacher. Right. Exactly. So that kind of points to that path of building an audience first. Okay. And that's not a quick path. No. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, I have also developed the great skill of patience. (laughs) Right. And I have, I really, I mean, honestly, it's, this is like a two to three year plan in my mind. So I, I know I have time. It's just what's what foot goes in front of the other as far as how to start walking towards that goal but before we go down that rabbit hole I want to check in with you about the other options that I laid out of either working for somebody who's doing this successfully Mm -hmm. you that would be a way to get amazing connections and to learn how it works or you know, and, and probably that would be the first step, even in trying to acquire a partnership it would, because you don't already have a platform and a name, you'd probably need to develop personal connections first. So that would be like looking for a job that would be personal assistant to this person who does this. I just had this thought, which is kind of a funny thought, but what if your skill as a hairdresser actually could like 
be the tipping point to get you the job where you're like, I'll be your amazing personal assistant. And by the way, I'm going to keep your hair looking top. <laughs> yeah. I'm not against doing that. I can take my, take my stuff with me on the road, but that is actually one thing that I have thought about as well is, you know, during my Kundalini teacher training, I got to host the teachers who were traveling here in my home, which was amazing. And I've made connections with these wonderful people who I admire and respect and they're coming back. So I get to have those connections still. And that is one thing that I've kind of had in the background of my mind too, is how do I become an assistant? You know, we had an assistant teacher in my training and it was just kind of sparkling in my back of my mind is how do I become an assistant teacher? I have no problem doing that and starting out from ground zero and kind of working my way through it. I just, yeah, same thing with holding myself back is how do I get the, the momentum to put myself out there, I guess. And I guess that's just one thing I have to just do is throw myself out there. Definitely. And just for, clarity a lot of times assistant teachers are unpaid so that's not what i would be looking at i would be looking at some kind of role that you do get paid okay and it could be a virtual role where you're just kind of privy to the inner workings of how this world works and you're making connections or maybe it's a hybrid role where some of it's virtual and then sometimes you go on location and you're just like the person who makes sure that there's the lemon water set out and that, you know, maybe you field the questions from the students or whatever, whatever it is. Okay. And how do you find this? Well, this is a great question because I do think that most of these positions are filled through word of mouth. I don't think that they're very often advertised, although I have seen them advertised. So that's kind of an interesting thing. When they're advertised, the person tends to be looking for like some kind of unicorn that, you know, <laughs> that has like an MBA, 10 years business experience. Whoa, like, so keep your eye out, look at, you know, keep your eye on the job postings. And, and maybe I'm sure that there are places that you can input keywords like yoga, wellness, retreats, things like that, and have those keywords sent to you, like the listings with those keywords sent to you. Okay. Then the other thing is think about the people who you have ever had a personal relationship with and reach out to them and tell them that you're looking for a position like this and ask them if they know anybody. Okay which is a little bit more comfortable than asking them if they have a position open, but also gets their mind rolling because they're going to have connections. Right. Okay. And then the third thing is to develop personal relationships with people like this. So for example, if you're really interested in retreats, go on some retreats. When you go on the retreat, make a point of connecting with all the staff. Make a point of connecting. Obviously, you want to connect with the teacher, but maybe the staff person, the assistant person to that teacher who is there and is privy to all of this, you know, kind of inner workings, they have a friend who's working for another teacher and that friend decides to go off and do their own thing. 
Okay. Made a friend who now has some insider information. And so, so I would like go on some retreats and just be open to human connection and make friends, build connections in that world and consider it an investment. It is an investment. It's going to be tax deductible, especially if you frame it this way, like this this is what you want to do. You have to experience it from the other end before you can really skillfully create it. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. That's also been in the back. I've gone to a couple very small retreats, but small kind of local types of, you know, environments that I didn't. And then when I go on retreat, I was like in it for me. So I, that wasn't on my back burner of, oh, I need to make connections here. But yeah, I'd like to, I think that's probably one of the very first things I would do. Be looking at the caliber of retreat that you want to eventually produce. Okay. You just gave me permission to go on retreat. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you really have to take a leap. Yeah. And it's not always a leap in the direction that is most obvious. Or, I mean, it can be obvious from the outside, but you know what I mean? Like, it, the first leap that everybody wants to make is like, I want to be a full-time yoga teacher. That's mm-hmm. the leap I'm supposed to make. I don't think that's the right leap for everybody. And I don't feel at this point in my life that it is for me either. You know, financially speaking, there's no way. I know what a lot of yoga teachers make and I can't transition from what I make to comfortably pay for my, you know, my household bills at this point and go to teaching yoga. That's just not a possibility right now, you know, and then finding the way to integrate the health coaching and the, you know, the nutrition part of it too. So I know that I've got years before I could even think about doing that from many different aspects, but yeah, it's the, the retreats is retreats are something that's always been on the back of my mind and a friend of mine um, and I have been talking about doing one together, but we sort of discussed the same thing that you just suggested was like, I think I personally need to go on some more retreats because she's been on several and I just haven't been able to force myself to carve out that time. When I go on vacation, I go on like a trip, you know? And so settling, setting time aside for myself, just for me has been something I've avoided for the last couple of years for some reason. So I appreciate you reiterating that because I do feel like that is a huge step into that direction, but. Yeah. To circle back around to building an audience, the place to focus is what are the people in my sphere, the people who are engaging with me already, what are they interested in? What are they asking me for? And I know that in the beginning, it can feel like, well, I'm not getting a lot of engagement. <laughs> I'm <not> like, <laughs> it can feel like, well, there's very, very, very little. There's, but instead of thinking of that as a, a problem, instead of thinking that that is a problem where you're like, wow, there's very little people engaging with me, look at it as this time where you can, you have the bandwidth to focus very deeply on everybody who does engage with you. Okay. And 
you know, you probably already are answering all the, you know, comments on your social media, responding personally, things like that. But in, instead of even just responding, keep, see if you can keep drawing them out. The people who are drawn to you naturally, what are they interested in? And then start to keep your eyes out for patterns of like, wow, it really is this health coaching component that everybody's drawn to. Or there's something about, you know, I, I don't know what else it might be. Um, it all, it all seems to be these moms. For some reason, they're all moms, you know? Yeah. yeah. Start looking for patterns and keep engaging. And that's, you know, a lot of people talk about being stuck with how to create content, what content to create. And that happens when we expect that the content is going to spontaneously be generated from inside of us. But that's not how I operate. That's not how most people who have, who are prolific, the way that they operate is they look outside, they look at the people who are engaging with them and they look at what do they need? How can I help them? What are they asking for? Yeah, I appreciate that too, because I feel like I struggle sometimes. And it's interesting is when I'm just, I feel like I get the most response and engagement back when I'm just sharing something personal about my life versus, oh, here's this class I'm going to teach this week, would love to see you, that kind of thing. And it's like crickets. Sometimes people come, but when it's like personal stuff, so having, trying to find a way to integrate that into more of what you're speaking to, I think is my. Yeah. So if you're getting response to you sharing personally, then focus on sharing personally and feel free to add at the bottom something like, and I'd love a hug if you I'm going to be at this studio at this time teaching. I'd love to see your face. And if you feel like giving me a hug, I'd love that too, or whatever, you know, like you can tie it in. You can tie in an invitation to whatever your personal share is. You can tie in an invitation and just a reminder, like this is part of me too. And find ways to share in a personal way. Like what is so important to you about what you're offering? So rather than just, here's the thing, I think you should come. What's, what's behind it? What's underneath it? What's deeper? Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Integrate the two basically, instead Mm -hmm. of it just being one or the other. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I feel like that kind of covers what you came for today. Do you have any follow-up questions or anything that's not clear? Um, I think the only thing that I would love to have a little bit of your opinion on, not a little, I'm not here for a little bit of opinion. I'm here for a lot of your opinion because I value it. Uh, I listened to your podcast recently. I think I listened to it again for the second time yesterday about the whole niche market. And you made a comment about people when they try to find their niche, having a bit of a resistance to it. And I feel like that's me because I am so drawn to restorative and gentle. I've kind of steered away from more of the power vinyasa. I've gotten more into deeper connections with yourself and holding 
you know, your postures and your poses a little bit longer and really investigating what's coming up for you. But I love Kundalini and they are all so very different. And I think I took it very personally into heart, like, well, now I have to put myself into one category and just concentrate on that. If I were to have to do that, I think I would go the Kundalini route for sure. But then there's this other side of me that's like, wait, what about gentle? What about restorative? What about yoga nidra? What about meditation? You know, in a different sense than Kundalini meditation. How important for what I am wanting to do? I mean, as far as doing retreats or doing even if I were to go the resort way, I feel like being more versatile is probably more appropriate for me. I don't see a resort wanting a Kundalini teacher. <laughs> it's very different than what people think of as yoga. So how important do you think that is for me to kind of find and stick to one style? I don't think it's important to stick to one style. When you're teaching classes though, and the classes are labeled as different styles, then they have to be treated differently and marketed differently, so that is a challenge. But what you wanna think of is what is the common thread among all the styles? What is the, what is the ultimate thing that you're helping people with? So for example, on a retreat, what it might be is that you help hairdressers find balance and peace because that's kind of an intense career, right? Sure. So, so you could focus on hairdressers. You could focus on retreats for hairdressers where you do a lot of self-care around the forearms, the wrists and the hands, and where you use language that really resonates with them, where you teach them how to hold space for their clients in a way that doesn't deplete them. Do you see what I mean? That's a niche mm -hmm. and you can, and you can use all the tools in your toolbox. You can use the nutrition tool, the health coaching tool, the Kundalini, the restorative, but the point it's more about who you serve and what you help them with than what the tools are. Okay. That's yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you. And in the beginning, even though, it seems counterintuitive. In the beginning, it's much more compelling to have a very clear, narrow niche, like hairdressers. So if you did, like if you opened up a, an account, an Instagram account, yoga for hairdressers, and all the content you put on that were, was like little tips about self-care around the hands, shoulders. <laughs> I mean, there's so much there, right? Oh yeah. You would never <laughs> run out of content. And that's what's so funny and counterintuitive is the smaller your niche is, the easier it is to generate content for them. Huh, okay. And the more powerful the content is because you're speaking directly to their experience. You're saying at the end of the day, when your shoulders are just aching from having held your arms up all day, cutting hair, here's a little self-massage trick that I use. Check it out and, and tell me what you think. Okay. And you've just spoke like, they're like, oh, you're talking to me. That's me. Hi. I raise my hand. I'm a <laughs> I, I get that. Yes. And there's, there's like a limitless an unlimited amount of ways that you can talk to hairdressers because you, you totally completely get them. 
you know exactly what they're going through and you know what has worked for you to help you do self-care around that. You just totally spun my mind into a whole new direction. Thank you for, thank you for that. I think I've had such a almost, almost like I'm counting the clock until I quote unquote retire from it. You know, it's like 23 years of my life and I'm like, this is not me. This is not me. You know, I want to do this, but yeah, you just opened up a whole new pathway in my mind about where to go with some actually online content would be great. Yeah. And I mean, that's the type of thing that you can start with hairdressers. And once you've built like a big platform and you've got a lot of hairdressers, then the hairdressers are going to be like, oh my God, there's this yoga teacher I love come, you know, like come on retreat with me. There's this yoga teacher I love come on retreat with me. And eventually you can start to broaden out. But if you start too broad, nobody connects with you. Nobody feels like you're talking directly to them and there's too much noise. You know, it used to be, let's say 20, 30 years ago, that the niche of a yoga teacher is people freaky enough to be interested in yoga. (laughs) And that was kind of a narrow niche. Mm -hmm. So when you talked about yoga at all, people were like, oh, that's me. I'm one of those freaks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, So when you look at the people who've been teaching a really long time, they never had to go through this conscious thought process about who's my audience because their audience was natural because it was so much smaller. As yoga grew in popularity, they got to broaden their niche kind of organically. Mm -hmm. So for me, I came on the scene like right as that period was ending, right as yoga was really exploding and that new teachers were not having that the same easiness in finding their students because there were now so many more teachers and so many more students that it became harder for the students to figure out who's my teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's very helpful. Thank you for how you just laid that out because that's, there is so much yoga in the world now and like, how do you stand out? And you just gave me a whole new thought to really explore with that. Awesome. Appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate cool. that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it'll be really helpful to hear for other yoga teachers to listen to this and to hear, oh God, that's me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of yoga teachers have other jobs, as we all know, you know, and mm-hmm. having to think about it to kind of streamline it that way. Because yeah, I hear niche and I'm like, oh, I have to pick a style, you know, and not so much uh, an audience, an audience. Thank you. Yeah. So that's very helpful with that. Cause that's, yeah, I hear pick a niche and I just have this resistance. So that just really, you don't have the same resistance to the idea of picking an audience as you do to picking a style. Right. Yes. Thank you. And that's great because the cool thing is that we want all the tools possible to help our people. Mm-hmm. We don't want to like cut ourselves off from a tool. Yeah. What we want is to help our people understand that we feel their pain, (laughs) that we have experienced what they've experienced and that we have a way to help them. So that's the power of the niche. It's not about limiting your options. It's about 
speaking with more potency because you're speaking more specifically to direct life experience that somebody's had. That's super helpful. Yeah. I, I don't even think I could have words for what you just said, because that just kind of expanded my whole thought about it. And I think I was doing exactly what you were saying about just thinking about what tools to take out of the bag and use one instead of how many tools can I use for this audience. So that's very, very helpful. And it's always about coming back to helping people. And that is, I think, what helps feed us as yoga teachers. It's what helps us to let go of our resistance to being more visible Mm -hmm. and putting ourselves out there is because we're not putting ourselves out there solely for the purpose of like being adored. (laughs) This is not, um, (laughs) this is not like being a rock star. Right. 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 We're putting ourselves out there. And, and of course, to anybody who's a musician, that's, I get that there's more to it than that. Right. You, you, you're probably putting yourself out there. Let me, let me maybe rephrase that and say, it's not like being a Kardashian. It's not like being famous for the sake of being famous. Right. It's putting yourself out there to connect with people that you know, you can help. Yeah. And that's, that's why I'm in this field and I, I have no interest in being famous or I would be approaching my social media in a completely different way. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, it's service. I just want to be able to help and to give people the gifts that I have discovered through my own practice and my own journey with yoga and to help them in whatever way that they need to that help, you know, whether it's just the physical part or if they need the deeper, you know, uh, dive into looking into what's going on with them emotionally or mentally or any blocks that they need to work through. And so being able to show them the things that I've learned, it has nothing to do with how many, you know, how many followers I have or how many, you know, exactly things like that. It's just not my style. So, yeah. Well, I'm excited for you. Thank you. Thank you for your help. It's so funny just to even bounce it off of somebody who, you know, is neutral. You know, you're one of my teachers for sure, but like to hear it kind of regurgitated back to me in a different voice is very helpful. Awesome. Well, stay in touch and let me know how this kind of shift in perspective changes things for you. And, you know, let me know if you end up getting a job. (laughs) in this field. Um, I know that you had mentioned a little bit of resistance to reaching out and, and starting that search, but I think that you felt good about the first step of, of, of going on some retreats. Yeah, I do. I do. And even just talking about it, it sounds, it, it sounds more possible or more approachable to just go ahead and and to do it and put myself out there a little bit, you know, but I think that, I think you're right. The first step is just, just go on the retreats myself and shake hands and rub elbows and kind of get started that way too. Notice what you love, notice what you love and notice what you do differently. Okay. It's, it's research. Also talk to all the other participants on the retreat and try to figure out what makes them a person who is willing 
to spend money on a retreat? Okay. What makes them a person who sees the value in that? Okay. That's yeah, that's helpful. Cause too. it's not just their net worth, right? There's people with a huge net worth who would never go on a retreat. <laughs> and there's people who have to scrimp and save to go on their retreats and, and, you know, they make other choices to not maybe drive a fancy car or not have the latest technology. So that would be, that would be a fantastic market research is not just to connect with the, the leaders of the retreat, but also the participants kind of find out what makes them tick. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So fun. It is fun. It's exciting to, I don't know, be rejuvenated in the, the thought process of doing, you know, doing these things and it helps with the detachment from the comfort zones, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being willing to record this and to share this conversation with other yoga teachers. Cause I do think it, it was a really valuable conversation. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to take up some of your time and your expertise. I appreciate it. Definitely my pleasure. <laughs> thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are, and that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And thank you also to each of you who listen all the way to the end, and most especially to those of you who leave reviews and who reach out to me to let me know that the podcast has impacted you and helped you. I'm grateful to get to support you and your teaching through the podcast through workshops, trainings, and one-on-one -on -one strategy sessions. If you'd like to find out more about working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can do that at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. Until next week, just a friendly reminder to prioritize your personal practice and whatever you do, whatever works for you for self-care so that you have the resources to be able to help others and be there for others. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week.